Welcome to the Whistling Podcast. My name is Suma Tao. Today's podcast is the beginning episode in a series about whistling in China, and in particular a phenomenon known as transcendental whistling. We'll ease into the subject by listening to a story by the avant-garde Chinese author Ge Fei. The name of the story is simply called Whistling. It is the retelling of an old story, the meeting between the 3rd century poet and musician Ruanji and an anonymous Taoist hermit known as the True Man. Ruanji discussed the past, enumerating things as far back as principles of the mystical during the times of the Yellow Emperor and the Divine Farmer, and delving into things as recent as the noble and remarkable events during the dynasties of Xia, Shang, and Zhou, seeking to know the true man's thoughts about them. But the true man remained still and did not respond. Ruanji then talked about Confucian teachings for reforming the world, and Taoist techniques for concentrating one's spirits and channeling one's breath, seeking to observe the true man's methods. But just as before, the true man stared straight before him without turning to either side. So Ruanji produced a long-drawn whistle in his direction. After a long time, the true man smiled and said, Do that again. Ruanji resumed whistling. When Ruanji's intention was satisfied, he left. Halfway down the mountain, Ruanji heard a shrill sound similar to the playing of multiple orchestras, echoed by forests and valleys. Ruanji turned back to find that the person he had visited was whistling. The moral of the story is, shut up and whistle. Some scholars, maybe incorrectly, identify the true man as Sun Dong, a poet, musician, and master of transcendental whistling. Both Ruanji and Sundong were members of a group called the Seven Sages of the Bamboo Grove. These sages, while trying to avoid the political turbulence of the times, drank wine, composed poetry, played music, took hallucinogenic drugs, and whistled. Ruanji and Sundong are considered to be the last masters of the art of transcendental whistling. This is a long story, so I'll keep these introductory comments short. I do want to mention that I have three special guest readers. Ren Huanxi, a.k.a. Happy, reading the part of Ruanji. Frank Fung, reading the part of Sundong. And Crystal, playing the woman. They're all friends of mine here in China. On with the story.
Whistling, a short story by Gaffe, from China's avant-garde fiction, March 1998, from Duke University Press, translated by Victor H. Mayer. Everything lay in tranquility. Day after day, Sun Dong slumped in the misshapen rattan chair, keeping watch over the passage of time. Dilatory May evoked in him an ineffable feeling. After all, an old man who expected nothing and who faced the shadows cast by the corner of the wall and the soaring eaves in the enchantingly radiant sunlight of high noon. Could think of something, or could think of nothing whatsoever. One really couldn't find fault with the weather. It is a common occurrence for a hoary-headed old man who is not cautious to break a porcelain bowl, just as the scorching heat or chilling cold of the air yesterday evening disturbed your restless sleep. It seemed as though there were no reason to let those painting fragments accumulate too long at the bottom of the riverbed of memory. Generally speaking, nearly everyone sleeps well in the tranquil nights of the late springtime. All you have to do is hold your breath, and you will be able to hear distinctly the sounds of snoring from the rooms along the corridor, joining in a chorus. Sometimes they are covered up by the calls of crickets and other insects. By the sound of the wind, and so forth. The sounds of snoring obviously include certain ostentatious elements, just as when a gorgeously dressed young girl brushes shoulders with an old man who supports himself on a cane, and she turns around to look at him with a smile as she passes, or they seem like an unceasing discourse that compels you to sink into silence. This kind of by no means connected discourse. Furthermore, could sometimes extend into the sunlight of high noon. It would make the flower buds of sleep that you had so carefully cultivated rapidly wilt. The sounds of snoring, by swift turns, were long or short, and were interspersed with some unpremeditated choking and whimpering that seemed like the gasping of a water clock whose flow of water had been obstructed. They were completely without any rhythm to speak of, just like the crying of a little child, suddenly erupting and then fitful. Judging from the sound, it seemed to go on unceasingly, just when there was a pause. Now you should know. What? Sundung asked. A precocious person mastered various skills when he was young, but he neglected only the skill of sleeping. The man was sitting opposite Sundung, toying with the go piece in his hand. This go game had already been going on for a long time, but at the moment it still didn't look as though it would soon be concluded. Beneath the dim rays of light, his face appeared rather indistinct. The evening sun sinking in the west caused the light in the room to become weaker and weaker. His foot lightly tapped on the floor, and he hummed an ancient melody. Any person's face, whether young or old, is a mirror. All you have to do is scrutinize it, 
and it won't be difficult to discover your own appearance in it. Of course, the things you see in the face of a beautiful woman will be slightly distorted. Women always bring about errors in a man's sight, and vice versa. However, there isn't much difference. This moment was the time right after noon. In that brief instant, the picture of spring that remained was very well preserved. Almost no shadows could be seen in the atrium that was paved with blue stone. The cracks in the stones had been etched long ago, and most of those cracks were due to days and years of vigorous scrubbing by rainwater or through exposure to the sun. They spread out like a spider web and were as dense, random, and casual as the lines of a palm print. Perhaps because the distance from the courtyard wall to the pond outside was too close, Sundong was only able to see a portion of the pond when he gazed past the half-opened door leaf, but he could more or less determine its size from the tree branches hanging over the surface of the water. As he watched the ducks swimming in the water, they appeared to be careful and cautious. Most of the time they didn't seem to be very absorbed in finding food, but were looking about in all directions. His gaze shifted from the paddlings of ducks and rested upon a gentle slope opposite the pond. That was a parcel of land full of rapeseed flowers. Some of the intertwined rapeseed plants had already gone to seed, which caused the colors of the field to be considerably paler than before, as though a faded rain cloth had been spread out to dry there. Nonetheless, if one looked at the field roughly beneath the burning rays of light, that bore straight down at noon, it still appeared to have a lot of vitality. Its jumbledness, disorderliness, and incompleteness could only be discovered when one got closer to it. Such moments were invariably after a big rain at dusk, or in the early morning before everything had a chance to spruce itself up. Now at last he could see the bridge. From a distance, this old wooden bridge which had been abandoned long ago and had stood there in the elements for many years, without anyone paying attention to it, seemed like a row of fence posts from a ruined sheepfold. If it hadn't been for the sparse clumps of reeds that grew at the two ends of the bridge to remind them, people wouldn't have been able to notice at all the traces of the river that flowed through here in years past. The bridge abutments were half sunken in the mud, Beyond the bridge was the great expanse of a cotton field. A woman wearing a kerchief stood up straight in the cotton field. It seemed as if she had just finished relieving herself. Because of the separation and obstruction of the bridge abutments, perhaps there was also a glaring light, Sun Dung was unable to make out her face. There was also a cotton field at this side of the bridge, only he couldn't see any evidence of people in it. The sun had already risen to the middle of the sky, and by chance the shadow cast upon the cotton field by the narrow bridge deck formed a straight line. Sun Dung's gaze lingered in the distance. His feelings about the places nearby, of course, became duller, only he felt that a dark red dish mass of shadowy light, like a cluster of fresh flowers that had been blurred by the rain, drifted before his eyes. What sort of shadowy mass was it? If one thought carefully, 
It could only be a person, a pedestrian hurriedly walking by in front of the door. A person who is in touch with the deepest recesses of his innermost being day and night will easily discover the transformations all around him. These sorts of transformations always transpire in the interstices of time, leaving people unprepared because of their abruptness. Fortunately, they bring with them not a shred of happiness, much less may we mention any sadness. While Sun Dung stared at the bridge in the distance, he kept his mind on the shadowy image of that fleeting mass. It was like enjoying the sight of rain falling from the sky on a sunny day. Such weather conditions were by no means rare in this area, which always gives one a feeling of unreality, quite akin to being in a trance. The shadowy light flickered past the door and vanished from sight along the left side of the pond. It was only after a while that it would reappear straight ahead and walk into his original line of vision. Unconsciously, because the sun's light had shifted its position a little, Sun Dung could clearly see the clothesline strung across the atrium. One end of it was buried in the green grass that had recently sprung up by the wall pier, and the other end was attached to the trunk of an almond tree. Because of the weight of the clothes on the line, the trunk had become bent like a bow with a slight curve. The clothesline was empty, and although the passage of time had rendered it fuzzy and frayed, it was stretched tight as a lute string. The grayish-brown swallow that had stopped there to rest in the morning had already flown away. Sun Dung turned the angle of his vision a bit, and then saw it on a windowsill. Swallows seldom perch on windowsills, and they never peck at their food like sparrows. Even when they do go through the motions of pecking at their food, it is only as a pretense for peering left and right. Having passed through the long winter season, the swallow had come back here, and it would stay at this house until the end of autumn. Now it was only late spring. The air was suffused with the frightful aroma emitted by fresh plants. As soon as he stopped being careful, he could smell the pure fragrance of bean pods that permeated the wind. There were some scenes that were difficult to imagine. For example, his daughter came walking in through the inner door carrying a bundle of soaking wet bean pods against her breast. She walked into the atrium. The dew had dampened her hair, sleeves, and bare ankles. Even the light in her eyes was soaking wet. Separated by a wooden table, they sat next to the door. One of her legs was askew, its white skin exposed below the knee. Some green grass and little bits of bean leaves stuck to it. Sun Dung watched a beetle crawl across her instep. It paused for a moment where the ankle and the calf joined. It seemed to have lost its way, or perhaps it was catching its breath, then proceeded to crawl upward till at last it disappeared inside the opening of her trouser leg. Later he noticed that some fingernail marks had appeared on her calf, where she had been scratching. The color of the marks became deeper and deeper like a patch of red maple leaves set off by the evening sun. 
Her scratching movements increased in frequency and her manner became increasingly crude, but in spirit she seemed as oblivious as always. Sun Dung knew clearly that his own expression in front of the threshold, with eyes raised and gazing afar, would surely be misunderstood by others as indicating that he was waiting for something. To obviate this misunderstanding, he made an adjustment of his seated posture. Perhaps you are waiting for someone, she said. The tone of her voice made one feel as though her mental powers were entangled in another matter, or were immersed in some future plans, an episode from the past. Oh no, said Sundown. He turned around and his gaze landed on a table surface that was parallel to the bun of her hair. A go game had been laid out on the table. From the looks of it, the game seemed to have been started the day before, or perhaps three days before, or maybe at some still more distant time. Judging from the number of pieces, the game seemed to be just half over. The man, holding a go piece between his forefinger and middle finger, was about to set it down. From his indecisive attitude, one could imagine the importance of the move. In Sun Dung's opinion, it didn't seem necessary to put so much emphasis on winning or losing a game of Go. The woman who was sitting opposite him appeared to be somewhat unsettled. Her gaze made it seem as though she were constantly preoccupied elsewhere. Close beside them, a boy was strumming a lute and singing. From this, we may roughly determine that the woman's gaze was certainly attracted by the sounds of the youth's song or his lute. Perhaps the ancient lute was placed at the side of a bamboo grove, because we can see that, next to the legs of the lute stand, several bamboo shoots were sprouting. Everything is immutable, eternal, ossified, probably so as not to let the space unoccupied by the human figures and their surroundings be overly large, the upper portion of the painting, from right to left, was densely filled with grasshopper-sized characters. Regrettably, the painting had been hanging on the wall too long, so that the writing had become blurred. The greatest stylistic feature of this painting was that it had no style to speak of. Judging merely from the human figures and the activity in the painting, there was no way at all to verify the date when it was completed. What's more, such things as a man and a lady playing go together were, it would seem, seldom witnessed in the customary behavior of the scholar official class. To be more precise, they were unheard of. Therefore, it is highly probable that this painting was from the hand of a folk artist. A tear in the part of the painting was made faintly visible by traces of mounting glue. With exceptional care, Sun Dung used a bristle brush to whisk away gently the dust that had accumulated on the surface of the painting. Owing to incaution, he knocked over a purple porcelain pot on the table onto the ground. The thick bouquet of the tea carried with it the scent of pine nuts. This naturally caused him to think of something else. He sat down in the misshapen rattan chair beside the table and made no effort right away to begin sweeping away the stains on the floor. 
He stared inanely at the pieces of the broken pot, feeling a sense of peace and self-contentment. At noontime, the sunlight lying in wait on the open floor finally shone upon the pile of broken shards. They looked like a fully opened lily. The tea water had long since evaporated, but the shattered remnants of the pot that were left behind resembled the lingering sounds of an unrealizable promise that wound around the rafters of the house without dissipating. Outside, the number of people in the cotton field gradually increased. Several children, who were playing, swayed back and forth as they walked on the bridge. When they reached the broken part of the bridge, they stopped and then turned around to walk toward the other end. Now one could already see a band of dark gray shadows in the cotton field close by the bridge railings. One after another, the farmers walked into the shadows. A man smoking a pipe was observing the color of the sky. The expression he wore as he vacantly scanned all around made it seem even more as though he were searching for the silhouette of someone familiar. Two women who were leaning against one of the bridge abutments looked as though they were in the midst of a leisurely conversation. The rest of the people, in contrast, were submerged in silence. However, the sounds of their talking seemed to be extremely feeble. Although Sun Deng could occasionally catch a sentence or two, their talk was utterly disconnected, and he had no idea what it signified. Still farther in the distance, the cotton fields and the wheat fields that lay beneath the burning rays of the sun were virtually fused into a single expanse. The leaves of the co-mingled plants obscured the outlines of a little path that sinuously wended its way up the slope of a peak on the horizon, until at last it disappeared in a pine forest halfway up. Seen in the distance, the little path seemed to be a gangway ladder suspended from the ridge of the mountains. Functioning somewhat as signposts, Several uneven elms had been planted sparsely along the little path, the part that was submerged in the wheat fields, causing the vaguely visible traces of the road to be fixed among the cultivated lands. As usual, the shadows of the trees lay horizontally across the blanket of dark green leaves of the crops. The man came walking slowly along the little path in the direction of the entrance to the village, frequently stopping beneath one of the elm trees to look around. Because he was worried about some fearful gossip or discussions with an ulterior motive, there were also various other possibilities, his bearing while walking along the path was, as always, so abstracted that he seemed to suspect that he had lost his way. The stillness and peaceful atmosphere of the open country appeared to have intensified his disquiet. With great effort, he strove to put on a nonchalant attitude, causing his movements to become even more absurd. If a person makes up his mind to go and do something, the man said, then what does it matter even if he does it a bit clumsily? Yes, said Sun Dong. He turned over a page of the book that was spread open before him and perhaps because he didn't grasp the implications of the sentence that the man had just spoken, he raised his head and glanced at him. Most of the time, this is the way they sat there. 
Even when they uttered a sentence or two, these seemed as easily shattered as sounds carried by the wind, so that it was impossible to catch the gist, and there was no meaning whatsoever. The poetry manuscript with a bookmark pressed between its pages remained spread out flat on the table. Every time that he turned a page, Sundong instinctively glimpsed outside the window. It seemed that the game on the go-board between them had just been played halfway through. Now it was still the time of high noon. No pedestrians were to be seen on the little path. The path wound behind a mound and abruptly disappeared near the pond, or perhaps we may say that it merged with the embankment around the pond. The dark reddish, shadowy mass finally appeared at the very front of the pond, walking into his original line of vision. It was the silhouette of a woman, the lines of her back and sides, and even her clothing itself bore a striking resemblance to those of his own daughter. His daughter had not returned home for quite a long time since she was married away. The woman on the opposite side of the pond, because of the background provided by the field of vivid rapeseed flowers, made an inexpressible impression upon Sundong. Perhaps she was a cloistered maiden of the neighbors, or maybe she was a daughter-in-law who had only recently arrived. Under normal circumstances, these two were not easy to distinguish. By the time Sundong attempted to discern her features more closely, her retreating figure had already traveled far along the road that was lined with elms. At Sundong's present age, it seemed as though he could already remember the time of his senility. The situation was just like remembering the fragments of a dream. For a young man who felt relaxed and calm beneath the motionless light of the sun, senility was merely a question of time. Its shadow resembled a gaily colored stage setting that had become a bit older, like a luxuriant tree that with the onset of the cold had shed its once verdant facade beneath one's very eyes. He sat in a newly plated rattan chair next to the table, slowly turning the lid of the purple porcelain pot on the table. Some intermittent muffled sounds were transmitted from outside beyond the pond. These sounds served as the continuation of the thread of his drifting thoughts into the rooms along the corridor where they hovered for quite some time. Now it was just at the time of late spring. The smell of leaves and flowers wafted through the air. Perhaps there were some other scents as well. The scents of mosses climbing the moist wall and of pine nuts. The trunk of the almond tree in the atrium had already become slightly bent because of the clothesline tied to it. A puff of wind silently blew through the atrium, and the petals of the almond blossoms, like flakes of snow, quietly settled on the bluestone paving blocks. Sundong had not swept out the atrium for a long time. Fresh and wilted petals piled up together covering the fine cracks in the blue stone paving blocks that were like so many spider webs. In the drowsiness of high noon, no one could put up with the disturbance caused by the swallow. Just at that moment, 
the swallow was building its nest beneath the eaves. Due to the limitations imposed by the position occupied by Sundong, he couldn't see all of the swallow. Only when it flew out of its nest and perched on the windowsill, or on the clothesline, could Sundong see it without any effort. It gave one the impression that it was aloof and constantly trembling with fear. The grayish-brown swallow seemed a lot like a sparrow in its physical appearance, but it spent a third of the year in far-off southern places. Sundong had no way to determine whether the swallow that flew back before his eyes every year at the beginning of spring was the same one that had gone away the previous year at the end of autumn. Looking out through the half-opened door of the atrium, Sundong could clearly see the river that shimmered beneath the sunlight. The wheat sprouts along its banks were starting to put forth clusters of grain. The inverted reflections of the crops and the reeds on the surface of the water were dimly visible. The broad river meandered into the distance beneath the glaring rays of the sun. As Sundong's gaze penetrated more deeply, the surface of the river became increasingly narrow and the background increasingly chaotic, until, at the horizon, it became a white thread, winding slantedly along one side of the foot of the mountains. A man smoking a pipe was drying his fishing net on the bank of the river. Perhaps because he saw someone familiar at a spot farther off, or perhaps because he was startled by a mandarin duck that skittered by on the surface of the water, gawking all around him, he grabbed hold of a corner of his net with one hand and shielded his forehead from the sunlight with the other. In any event, his silhouette made one feel that something was happening near him. The wooden bridge stood loftily above the surface of the river, the water forming countercurrents where it flowed past the abutments. Consequently, with the help of the reflected light of the sun, Sundong could see clusters of tiny bubbles that were churned up beneath the bridge. At high noon, the shadow formed on the surface of the river by the bridge span was drawn out into a straight line. To the right of the river channel, a belt of elms was sparsely planted in the great expanse of wheatlands. The young elms fixed the contours of a road that cut through the wheat fields. Because the elm leaves were not yet fully grown, the hue of the silent shadows cast by the trees was extremely fine and faint. If one did not concentrate one's attention and focus one's vision upon them, perhaps they couldn't be seen at all. The woman came walking zigzag along the little path in the direction of the village. It seemed that a grain of sand that had worked its way into her shoe was hurting the sole of her foot, so she stopped beneath one of the elms and with restless eyes peered all around. Her demeanor was invariably flustered, revealing that something was weighing heavily on her heart. Her right hand propped against the trunk of the elm, she hesitantly took off one of her shoes with her left hand and shook it. Because the single slender leg on which she was standing could not support the weight of her body, she made a couple of hasty hops. Her movement of taking off the shoe and shaking out the sand went on for too long, causing her tottering body to appear quite ridiculous beneath the sunlight. 
beneath the afternoon sky was soundless. Puffs of light wind stirred the multitudinous wheat florets. No promise on earth lasts forever," said the man. Sun Dong was momentarily stunned when he perceived some other ideas in what the man had said, but they did not the slightest damage to the tranquility of his innermost being. He pretended not to have heard the sentence, and letting his hand lead where it may, picked up a piece from the go board on the table. Yet, because his thoughts were entangled by the referent of the words that had just been spoken, his movements appeared to be somewhat indecisive. The murky gray light of the room made it hard to figure out his face. This poet, surnamed Ruan, would always come here early in the morning or toward evening, taking Sun Dong by surprise. Both his identity and his ambiguous speech were rather suspicious. Fortunately. Most of the time, the two of them just sat there like this, their eyes either focusing on the go board in front of them, or looking askance at the poetry manuscript with a bookmark pressed between its pages, that was spread out at the side of the table, seldom saying anything. Of course, this would create other associated yet unanticipated results. The prolonged silence would cause them occasionally to utter unforgettable remarks. It wasn't known how long the go game had been going on between them. Judging from the uncertain manner with which she raised the go piece, in one hand she held a piece that she was about to put down. She conspicuously revealed that she was somewhat weary. This made her failure to give an appropriate response to the sentence that Sun Dong had just spoken understandable. Furthermore, Sun Dong's sentence itself was commonplace and vapid; it comprised no special meaning. The high bun of hair wrapped around at the back of the woman's head had now already come loose. Her long hair brushed against her well-proportioned shoulders, and following the frequent inclinations of her body. As though she were considering where she wanted to place the go piece, it would swish around the edges of her shoulders and cascade over her chest. Her eyes, which were fixed on the go board, seemed all the while to be mindful of something else. The scattering of her power of concentration was mostly because of the excited noises of the children outside, or because of a white butterfly flitting about in the rooms along the corridor. The butterfly had evidently smelled something fragrant in the house, such as the scent of pine nuts in the woman's hair. It lingered momentarily in the vicinity of the window sill, then flew over the grassy wall surrounding the atrium and disappeared in the sunlight beyond the house. At the instant when the sunlight vanished, the courtyard and the atrium, as well as the pond and wheatland outside. Which had been covered by it, now all became somber and dark. Only the slopes and valleys on the left side of the mountain range, stretched out in the distance, were still bathed in rays of bright light. In the lowlands of the valleys were growing some pear trees, their blossoms thickly heaped, bamboo and other types of trees. This kind of weather often occurred during the late spring season, but it didn't last very long. The sunlight, which receded and then came back like a tide, 
followed along the expanse of slopes and valleys, and spread out in all directions, shining upon the mulberry groves, thatch-roofed houses, and pine forests on the other side of the mountain, and on the little paths suspended from the ridge of the mountains like a gangway ladder. Flooding over the feet of the mountains, it came swooping along in the direction of the river, the bridge, and the village. This mountain range was a branch of an even larger mountain system. Its name had long since been forgotten, or perhaps it never had any name from the very beginning. There is no harm in calling it Sukit Mountain, is there? suggested the poet Ruanji. He probably regretted this sentence, for he was anxious to change the topic and talk about something else. Why is it called such a name? asked Sun Dong. Anyway, that's just how it is, said the woman with a yawn. It was evident that she was unwilling to become further entangled in this question. It could be some other name altogether, said Sun Dong. If, as you just said, it's a branch range of the Taiwan Mountains, there is nothing wrong with this name. Sun Dong said no more. The usual look of impatience showed on her face, but in a twinkling, it was once again swiftly retracted, probably because the woman realized that it was she herself who had broached the topic, or perhaps she had thought of something else unrelated to this. But what sort of affair was this? After all, a man and a woman, sitting idly in the vestibule beneath the sunlight at high noon, could do something. Furthermore, women are never willing to let that sort of gloomy, dismal expression linger on their faces too long. This was a beautiful and educated woman. She knew the limits of her thoughts and emotional frailty. Because she was worried that some frightful, irremediable scene might take place, she never overstepped this boundary, or she never overstepped it first. To a certain degree, Sun Dong was clearly aware of this point. A part of the little path on the mountain was covered by the boughs of pine trees. So, as one looked along it, the path was discontinuous. The sound of the billowing pines came drifting quietly and gave one a feeling of coolness. The black shadow of a person, seen in the distance it was just a black dot, came walking along the little path toward the bottom of the mountain. For a long period of time, Sun Dong kept his eyes fixed on the expanse of the mountain ridge. His desire to distinguish the shape of the person caused his innermost being to be possessed by an indescribable anxiety. The woman came walking in through the inner door carrying a bundle of wet bean pods. She crossed the atrium and walked to one side of the corridor, where she sat down on a small wooden bench. The whitewashed wall that connected the atrium with the house hid from view more than half her body. Looking out through the open window in the whitewashed wall, he could see the bun coiled at the back of her head. One of her legs was quite askew, stretched out near the threshold of the door. Her trouser leg was rolled up high, exposing her calf below the knee. The sunlight made the bean leaves and bits of grass that stuck to it distinctly visible. Next to her ankle was placed a porcelain bowl with a blue rim. At very short intervals, 
her hand would stretch toward the rim and deftly put the potted green beans into the bowl. Her motions precise and uninterrupted, she never made an error. As more and more of the beans accumulated in the bowl, a few of them would occasionally bounce out and land on the empty floor beside the threshold. The woman frequently turned toward the outside to look for something. Perhaps she was listening to the sounds outside. Her body was facing right and inclined toward that side, exposing her skinny shoulder blades by the edge of the doorframe. One really couldn't find fault with the weather. At the side of the pond that was drenched in sunlight was a thick-set fence of bushes. The spreading branches of weeping forsythia, which had not yet flowered, extended from the bank out over the surface of the water. Starting from the morning, the old man had been sitting beneath the shade of a tree all the while. The brim of his straw hat hid his face. His long fishing pole hovering horizontally over the pond, the man's fishing line with its bobber made of a chicken quill swayed over the water. The old man appeared to be very patient, or perhaps we may say that it was not easy for others to detect his restlessness. Because he had been sitting there idly for too long, occasionally he would lift his empty fishing line above the water, to check whether the bait had fallen off the hook. Then he would lightly put it back in the water. At such moments, his affectations were completely revealed. A farmer woman, supporting herself with a hoe, was standing on the slanted slope on the other side of the pond. She was getting ready to prepare the wasteland for cultivation. Perhaps she would put in some potatoes or would plant some rapeseed next year. Whenever Sundong's line of vision fell upon her, she was always supporting herself with her hoe and catching her breath. The moisture of the newly dug soil was entirely sucked up by the noontime sun, so that its original russet color gradually turned white. Behind her, a man who was repairing his fishing net by the riverside was smoking a pipe and looking at something far upriver. A small boat sailing on the river reduced its speed as it passed through the wooden bridge. The sounds of snoring began to echo through the rooms along the corridor again, causing everything around to feel sleepy. The woman was lying down in a rattan chair, her chin propped in her palm and one arm resting in the concavity of her waist. An ant lingered at the opening of her collar as though it were lost. Accompanied by the creaking of the chair in which she was lying, the woman rolled over and lay flat. Some fingernail marks left from where she had been scratching were revealed on her neck. The color of the marks became deeper and deeper until, 
At the same time when they reached their maximum, dark red, they gradually dissipated. Finally, the skin regained its original color. The shrill mutterings of the woman in her dreams were by no means more fearsome and terrifying than her manner when calm. In her even breathing, her chest and abdomen rose and fell slightly. Perhaps the two were fundamentally the same. The transient, concealed, impetuous, and irrepressible bodily sediments were fully exposed in her fitful dream mutterings. On ordinary days, these would normally be submerged in the background of her language and behavior, awaiting their opportunity in secret. It's like when you let out a whistle, you can't find any meaning. The poet Ruan glanced at him, then continued, Don't you want to see something? Even if you don't, I can guess you are waiting for someone. Sun Dong didn't respond. He had just seen the fleeting silhouette of a man on the ridge of Sugate Mountain come walking down the mountain. Only when he got closer did Sundung realize that he was a woodcutter. It seemed that they had just finished playing half of the Go game between them. Letting his hand lead where it may, Sundung picked up the poetry manuscript on the table and turned to the page with a bookmark stuck in it. He glanced at it hurriedly then closed the manuscript up again. The woody hibiscus flowers, the hibiscus flowers in the mountains, silent, no one in the mountains, abundantly they blossom, then fall. Everything was motionless, without any animation whatsoever, stiff, the painting was like a receding and returning moment from the past, preserved eternally on the wall. The inexpressible look of the woman in the painting embodied waiting. In a more exact sense, listening to the sound of singing was only a vain pretense. To an onlooker, a person who was looking at a painting, her real intention and motive were, it would seem, quite clear. The mouth of the boy strumming the lute was wide open, from the appearance of which it was highly probable that he was singing. His entire body seemed to be immersed in the sounds of music, but it also seemed as though he were saying something inconsequential, or that he was yawning. Seen thus, the boy was completely oblivious. To prevent the lower corners of the painting from being lifted by the drafts that blew through the hall, two red strings in the shape of an X held it against the wall. One of the strings divided the woman's face in half, and there was a go piece precisely at the spot where the two strings crossed. It was difficult to tell at once the color of the go piece upon which the strings pressed. Against the dark gray background of the painting, the scarlet string appeared quite dazzling. Judging from the rusty nails around the edges of the painting, it seemed that it had already been hanging on the wall for a long time. A person can do many things in a lifetime. 
looking far away at scenery or concentrating on a painting is sufficient for spending the better part of one's life. The secret feelings of a person's innermost being are only associated with some specific objects. Once they are produced, there is no longer any way to erase them. For example, when Sundong became conscious of the hidden significance behind the figures in the painting, a corner of his innermost being was occupied by a gigantic, ridiculous fable. What sort of fable was it after all? Since the nameless artist had long since withdrawn his traces behind the curtain of the months and years, everything was beyond verification. Just then it was at the time of late spring. Bending over the edge of the table in the hall, Sundong slept for a short while but was awakened by the buzzing of a bee. In the period before the arrival of the rainy season, day after day, the brilliant sunlight made one feel as leisurely and comfortable as if one were in a dream. It seemed as though there was no need to expect that time would occasion any change, just like expecting someone to come. As he had so often in the past, Sundong kept turning the purple pot in his hand. Because he was worried that it would slip out of his hand and break, his demeanor showed that he was somewhat uneasy. Under its legs, the bee was carrying the fragrance of flowers that blossomed beneath the blue sky. It flew dancingly in front of his eyes for a spell, then at last stopped to rest on the painting. Slowly, it crawled up one of the red strings and stopped where the woman's waist was. It didn't matter whether it was smelling some scent, perhaps it was the odor of the ink from years gone by. It definitely could not have been the aroma of the woman's body because it was, after all, just a painting. Do you mean there's nothing that you want to see? Sun Deng laughed. Ruanji was at a loss. The famous poet, who usually spent his nights intoxicated amongst the flowers and willows of the gay quarters, gave one the impression of being unconventional and uninhibited. Unexpectedly, his speech and his behavior seemed all the more like those of a delicate woman, and his nervous temperament, like that of a woman who was skilled at making pretenses, was also well protected. We were walking along a little path and you come to the end of it. There's no harm in stopping to have a good cry, said Ruanji. Sundong was just then pondering a move he was about to make with one of the go pieces, so he didn't answer. Ruanji rolled his eyes equivocally and placing the thumb and forefinger of one hand in his mouth, dug out a green vegetable leaf. Sundong originally thought that as in the past, he would let out a whistle. When the whistling sound suddenly arose, Sundung was totally unprepared for it. The strange, strident sound, mixed with the sounds of the billowing pines, reverberated through the valley of Sugate Mountain for a long while without expiring. Sundung leaned against one side of the door leaf, observing far off in the sky above Sugate Mountain, a flock of soaring birds. Ranji's silhouette stood motionless on the peak. He looked like a pine tree, white clouds amassed behind him. 
Before long, the glaring light caused a dark green shadow to appear before Sundong's eyes. By the time the angle of the sunlight had shifted, permitting Sundong to fix his gaze on the peak for a longer period of time, the peak had already long since been deserted. At the foot of the mountain, a woodcutter, with faggots piled high on his back, came walking slowly in the direction of the village, along the little path on the ridges through the wheat fields. Because the water's source had dried up, a great expanse of rounded stones emerged from the riverbed through the diminishing water. Reeds that had been cut down were neatly arranged along both banks of the river. The rotting hulks of some wooden boats were strewn on the riverbanks. They seemed like one snail after another lying quietly at the edge of the wheatland, several magpies resting on top of them. The groups of people who had gathered along the shores in the morning had already dispersed by now. They were transporting large amounts of earth from the foothills of Sugate Mountain, seemingly with the intention of filling in the river channel, and then after that, planting grains and cotton on top. As of old, the wooden bridge stood loftily over the river. Several children playing on the bridge were swaying back and forth as they walked on it. They frequently faced the azure sky as though they were looking for something. Perhaps it was a magpie that had flown away from one of the overturned wooden boats. Perhaps it was a kite. Their shadows cast upon the sand and stones at the bottom of the river and merged with the shadow of the bridge. A sudden morning rainstorm scoured the bluestone blocks of the atrium till they glistened. Some gaily colored flower petals scattered upon them caused the cracks on the stone blocks to stand out more sharply, just as a smile causes facial wrinkles to deepen. The clothesline that crossed the atrium was hung full of variously colored clothes. Their lower hems, which were saturated with water, flapped in the wind. The woman was standing beneath the clothesline, her hollow back concealing her tiny movements. It looked as though she were smoothing out some creases on the clothes. Then again it seemed as though she were examining a stain on the clothing, a skirt. Each move she made seemed uncertain. Because she had been standing there too long, once she had thought of turning around, but then she instantaneously changed her mind again, so that when she left at high noon, Sundong thought that she was still standing there. For several days, the empty bowl with a blue rim had been lying beside the threshold. The leaves of the bean pods on the floor had long since been dried out by the sunlight. Through the paper of the latticed window was reflected a wispy, fluttering shadow. If it was not the spreading locks of his daughter's hair, then it must have been the shadow cast by the almond tree in the atrium. Because he was separated from them by the paper of the window, sometimes it was difficult to tell the difference between the tree's shadow and locks of hair. This kind of situation made it much easier for one to attain tranquility than at some other times. At those times, for example, if the woman stood straight up behind the window and took the potted young soya beans outside to wash by the pond, or if she carried a bamboo basket on her arm and went walking along the little path on the ridges through the wheat fields, 
her silhouette growing more distant in the sunlight shining against her. Of course, more often the circumstances were like this. There was no one at all behind the window or door. That is to say, it wasn't known where his daughter had gone. And the stalk of beans lying on the wooden bench had been potted just halfway. If one were to say that she spent the whole day inside the house, only going out by chance for a short while the entire time, or if one were to say that in a year, perhaps it was even longer time, her whereabouts were unclear only on a certain midday, then what would the moment when she suddenly disappeared signify for Sundong? I went out for a stroll for a while, she said. When she said the word stroll, it gave one the feeling of casualness, as if to declare that the action itself didn't have any real purpose or significance. It was precisely this total unnecessary and inevitable pretense that exposed the depression hidden deeply in her innermost being. I went out to the garden to see whether the eggplants were ripe, she added. The moment her eyes met Sundong's, they rebounded to her feet like a rubber ball. They dispersed like a wisp of smoke blown by the wind. On a low earthen bank at the western end of the wheat fields were neatly arrayed row after row of beehives. Just at that moment, a beekeeper wearing a mask stepped out from his tent. The tent where he spent his nights appeared to be extremely eye-catching against the hazy golden background. Perhaps because the sunlight outside the tent hurt his eyes, he stood rigidly outside the tent beneath a chinaberry tree, peering in the direction of the east, probably because of the swarms of bees that were fighting in the sky above the rapeseed field, he felt that his hands were tied. Otherwise, he certainly must have seen someone walking along the little path on the ridges between the wheat fields. The position where he was standing was only a few steps away from the little path lined with elms. When Sundong finally realized that he was calling a tawny dog, the sun had already shifted slightly to the west. The wheat was already very tall so that all Sundung could see of the tawny dog as it trotted along the ridges through the wheat fields was its curled tail. Then, where's the homeland? Homeland? The homeland where the soul rests. People usually find it in the body of a woman. If it exists, it has long since been lost or will be lost sooner or later. More often, we discover it when we are looking attentively at a flower petal that has fallen on the ground, or when we are gazing at a drifting cloud. Of course, in a certain sense, we may say that it is only a game of go, a kite with a broken string. Yuan Ji pulled the poetry manuscript over to him and turned to the page with the bookmark. Because of the crudeness of the printing, the characters in it were already indistinct. Yuan Ji disjointedly recited a few lines, then suddenly stopped and let out a whistle.
Sun Dong had read the poem long ago, but had forgotten a few words and expressions in it. Just now he surprised himself by having said so much in one breath. Overnight the fences that he maintained around his speech became unbearably dilapidated, so that his words and actions would match the tranquility of his innermost being, Sun Dong proceeded to sink into a lengthy silence. When a person reaches middle age, the signs of senility are by no means so apparent as people often say. The firmness of the skin and the circulation of the blood invariably go unnoticed by others. It's just that only when he was alone with his own memories, Sun Dong would vaguely feel something. A layer of green duckweed drifted in the pond outside. A wind blowing from the southeast pushed it into the northwest corner of the pond. Most of the time, several ducks were there searching for food. The manner in which they craned their necks to look all around made one feel that someone was walking beside the pond. A girl carrying a vegetable basket passed in front of the doorway with a flash. At the same time, Sun Dong was recalling how she was dressed a blurred mass of dark red color. A shiver shot through him unawares. He stuck a pipe in his mouth and kept his eyes focused on the sloping land on the other side of the pond. An old lady was watering the newly planted potatoes. This time, the village maiden didn't walk around the pond and into his original line of vision as he had imagined, but followed along another small path and quietly walked into the distance. No matter what you see, this is definitely not a good omen," said Ruanji. The reason people can't remember the multitude of strength and loose ends from the past is because of an uncommon situation or because of a woman. Sun Dong didn't say anything. The absent-minded manner in which he looked at the Go game was quite similar to a trance. Acutely conscious of this fact, he shifted his gaze elsewhere. Several Go pieces were scattered on the board between them. Ruan Ji was just about to put down a piece that he held in his hand, which was suspended in midair. Probably because the prolonged indecision made him feel bored, his hand drew several arcs above the board, and then he tossed the piece into the container, got up, and took leave. Owing to a certain invariable habit, Sun Dong once again heard the sounds of snoring rising from the rooms along the corridor. The doors to each room were thrown open. The sound that made one feel so despondent most likely was coming from a wing room on the left side of the corridor. Sun Dong picked up the purple porcelain pot and walked slowly in the direction of the wing room. His bearing while walking might easily have caused one to believe that he was silently reciting a stanza of poetry. When he reached the window that directly faced the clothesline in the atrium, he suddenly stopped. At this moment, another sound that had been covered up by the sound of snoring became clearer. It seemed like the footsteps of someone walking toward the house along one side of the pond. While Sun Dong was attentively listening to the sounds, he unconsciously turned around and walked back. 
He passed through the door to the house and walked up to the side of the almond tree in the atrium. It seemed as though the sounds had stopped. Could it be that the person had suddenly halted? Sun Dong walked out to the side of the courtyard gate and saw a woman washing clothes on a dock at the side of the pond. The sound emitted by the mallet as she struck it on a block of bluestone closely resembled the sounds of footsteps. As before, the little path on the ridges in the wheat fields was deserted. Behind the woodcutter's back, Sun Dong saw her thin silhouette as she came walking slowly in the direction of the village. She always kept a distance of two elm trees from the woodcutter. When the old man stopped to catch his breath in the center of the wheat fields, she too stood still while supporting herself on one of the trees. Perhaps because a grain of sand was hurting her soul, she took off one of her shoes. An unobstructed gust of wind blowing through the fields wrinkled her clothing. The glaring sunlight caused everything all around to become utterly lacking in vitality. The woodcutter lit a pipe and suddenly, seeming to sense her presence, turned around to look at her but didn't say anything. The troubled look of the woman standing on one foot made one think that she was calculating something. The moment when she stopped to linger beneath the elm, which bent from her weight, gave the woman the opportunity to put her thoughts in order. Either she suspected that she had lost her way, or she felt regret over the inappropriateness of her own visit. In a certain sense, the reason she hesitated to move forward was due to the discrepancy between what she wanted to do and the impression her behavior made on an onlooker. This kind of discrepancy could also occur when people looked at distant scenery or stared at a woman's face. The abandoned bridge in the cotton fields was just like the vestiges left behind by fleeting time, or the empty echoes of a sound, which cause one to be able to grasp fragments from the past in the depths of thought that remain unchanged for an instant, the sobbing river water, the dense clumps of reeds, the fishing net drying on the riverbank, the fishy smell of the water. At the moment of high noon, the groups of people working in the cotton fields congregated from the sides of the bridge beneath the rickety bridge railings. Even when there were no children frolicking on top of the bridge, the wind from the south would cause it to emit a slight creaking noise. From the looks of it, they were discussing something, perhaps interspersed with arguments. A young man stood in clumps of reeds at one end of the bridge, looking very ill at ease. With the lapse of time, he became conscious of the insipidity of his own isolation. So he indecisively approached the group of people beneath the bridge railings, probably because the people, who were deeply immersed in their furtive private conversations, didn't pay any attention to him the aloof man decided to change his direction on the spur of the moment. Bending his body to slip through the bridge railings, he walked off toward the other end of the cotton fields. In his haste, he bumped his head on the bridge abutment, but he didn't raise his hand right away to rub his head. Instead, he walked straight to a distant spot, a spot that was almost beyond Sundong's line of vision and where it was impossible to see a person's silhouette.
and only then did he touch his forehead as though he were thinking of something. Spending too much or too little time in a place can similarly induce in one a feeling of isolation. That day at high noon, when Sundong settled himself in the misshapen rattan chair in front of the table as usual, he suddenly became conscious of this fact. Day after day, time etched the wrinkles in his face like a silkworm nibbling on a mulberry leaf. Time internally passes more quickly than people are prepared for, until finally it will turn you into a stranger from a foreign land. Of course, at the very end, you will become a part of the objects that you are now viewing from afar, just like that wooden bridge. That's not necessarily bad," said Sundong. Furthermore, people usually can't detect this type of transformation. In the morning, a stalk of pimples may still be studied with spring dewdrops, but in the blink of an eye, it will be withered by wintry frosts," said Ruanji. The daughter came walking through the inner door, carrying a bundle of soaking wet bean pods. When she walked to a place in the atrium that was exactly opposite the door, she blocked Sundong's line of vision for a while. It looks as though your friend Ruan won't be coming today," she said. Sundong realized that the expression he wore at that moment, while gazing far into the distance, surely must have misled his daughter into thinking that he was waiting for someone. So he adjusted his sitting posture somewhat, and letting his hand follow where it may, pulled over the poetry manuscript on the table, glanced at it hastily. Then returned it to its original position. On those drowsy afternoons, nobody would come to this residence. The deserted atrium, the empty clothesline, the swallow that had gone off to parts unknown, and the half-played go game laid out on the table proved this point in a veiled fashion. There was also the painting hanging on the wall of the hall that could confirm this point. A string on the painting, the color of the string had turned from scarlet to ashen, had long since broken because it was stretched too tight. Attached to the side of the painting, it looked just like an inverted steelyard hook. The corner of the painting had been lifted by the wind, causing dust to fly about in all directions. When Sundong picked up a bristle brush and tried to dust the painting. He carelessly knocked over a purple porcelain pot on the edge of the table. The teapot rolled over several times on the table, then fell to the ground and broke into pieces. The dripping sound of the water caught on the surface as it flowed through a seam in the table, caused Sundong to be silent for a long time. What sort of sound was it? Starting from midday. The unbearably old angler had been sitting next to the hedgerow along the left side of the pond. The warm May sunlight had, time after time, led him into the land of dreams, while the calls of the ducks swimming in the pond and the intermittent sounds coming from the cotton fields kept waking him up over and over. On the gentle slope at the other side of the pond, a brocade-like stretch of rapeseed flowers was in full bloom. 
people usually regard the flourishing and withering of plants, the rising and falling of clouds, the departure and return of swallows as symbols of the continuity of time, like the cycle of the seasons. But for Sundong, the situation was by no means like this. Who knew whether the swallow crying sadly beneath the eaves was the same one that flew away last year at the end of autumn? Everything lay in tranquility. All life fled from the sunlight of the present moment of high noon and escaped into dark corners, leaving behind for him some fragmentary memories. A yellowing poetry manuscript, a jumbled mass of wilted petals, an unrealizable promise. After his daughter had been married off to another district, she hadn't come back for a long time. Yet in recurring reveries, her silhouette finally became clearer before his eyes. She came walking toward the village along the narrow little path below Sugate Mountain, then suddenly halted in the center of the broad, flat wheat lands. The woman, utterly immobile, stared at the painting on the wall, seemingly smelling the scent of pine resin in the tufts of her hair, a blue butterfly fluttered back and forth in the gloomy light behind her. Between the woman and him, a go game was laid out. It was impossible for Sundong to remember when the game had begun. The arrangement and number of the go pieces, the melancholy look in the woman's eyes, the manner with which she held one of the go pieces between her forefinger and middle finger, and the thick air in the room all closely resembled the painting on the wall. More than once, Sundong felt that the go match between him and the woman, through a certain visual pattern that was difficult to express, formed an exact analogy to the situation in the painting. This absurd analogy brought Sundong's distracted consciousness to the margin of the imminent cessation of thought. In the enchantingly radiant sunlight of high noon, might an unseen hand quickly paint everything inside the vestibule into a painting? Perhaps because of the prolonged and profound silence that made him feel bored, Ruan Ji sighed lightly, then got up and took leave. According to his habit, Sundong saw him to the door. Following the little path lined with elms, Ruanji's silhouette gradually went off into the distance and dissolved in the dark green background of Sugate Mountain. When the sound of whistling rose beneath the sunny Empyrean, Sundong shuddered as though it were a bolt out of the blue. Shielding his eyes from the strong light with one hand, he saw Ruanji standing on the peak of Sugate Mountain beneath a solitary tree. Against a backdrop of white clouds like thick cotton fleece, he stood motionless, seeming to wait for Sundong's answer. Sundong looked all around him, then quietly inserted his thumb and forefinger in his mouth. The extreme frailness of his body and the looseness of his teeth caused him to be unable to produce any sound. The shrill, desolate, plaintive whistle, accompanied by the sowing of the billowing pines, reverberated for a long time in the mountain valleys. 
it was like the sad wail of the poet who died long ago, penetrating through the barriers of time, continuing up till today, and sinking into the easily awakened dreams of a living person. The End A call to action. A call to action. A call to action. You can join the Whistling Podcast group on Facebook. I now have a website, thewhistlingpodcast.com. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thewhistlingpodcast. And I also have a Quora site for discussions, thewhistlingpodcastspace.quora.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Whistling Podcast. Perhaps you are waiting for someone.